The Supreme Court on Thursday struck down affirmative action in college admissions, declaring race cannot be a factor and forcing multiple institutions of higher education to look for new ways to achieve diverse student bodies. Were they right to do this? And what implications does this have for the future of our country? This is what we'll be discussing during this segment of SCOTUS Week here on the left wing. I'm John Cooper, CounterPoint Politics, joined by my co-host Desmond Price of Independent Thought and Dr. Erica of Cocktails and Capitalism. So let's get started. Justice Clarice Thomas, the nation's second black justice who had long called for an end to affirmative action, despite the fact that he was originally admitted to Yale because of affirmative action policies, uh, wrote in the decision uh, that he sees the university's admissions policies for what they are, rudderless race-based preferences designed to ensure a particular racial mix in their entering classes. The arguments here are pretty clear. The conservative justices are arguing that Affirmative action is racial discrimination in and of itself, while the liberal justices argue that historical precedent shows that the absence of affirmative action policies causes discrimination against minority groups. Um, there's plenty, uh, I, I won't get too much into the legal details of this case because I think that's less interesting, but I think there is a lot of uh, intriguing ideological discussion that we can have around this because I know where I fall on this issue is slightly different from you know the the the, the leftist, you know, pragmatic view. Um, and I'm interested to hear what your guys take is a couple other just interesting facts I want to point out here um, is that in this decision, the only institutions of higher education explicitly left out of the ruling were the nation's military academies. So, you know, the military can do whatever they want. Um, they can be racist if you think that, you know, um, that these policies are racist, but the, the military can do it because of course they can. I just thought it was a little extra, you know, kicking the balls from this. Um, a poll last month uh, by the Associated Press, uh, Center for Public Affairs, and research showed that 63% of U.S. adults say that the court should allow colleges to consider race as part of the admissions process. So again, this is another example of an unelected group of six people um, allowing conservatives to undermine the democratic will of the people. Um, and, uh, you know, if you were wondering uh, where our civil rights leaders would stand on this issue, Clarence Thomas has previously rendered anti-affirmative um, action opinions that have been heavily criticized by none other than Rosa Parks herself. A chilling reminder that we are, as a country, are not even a full generation removed from the time period of legal segregation. Um, so all of that being said, wanted to open this up to the floor. What, what do you guys think of affirmative action in general uh, of this ruling and, and kind of where we go from here? Um, I mean, I think it's it's a very, very needed remedy to um, a legacy of hundreds of years of racial injustice in this country that, um, you know, really has left uh, people of color much, much, much poorer than their white counterparts. Um, and if we if we recognize that, like, the issues of race and class are so deeply overlapping. Um, and the fact that all of these people have been, you know, uh, born into this legacy where their their past generations have been li literally enslaved, then segregation, dealing with that, uh, going to crappier, shittier schools, not having opportunities, not having the ability to break into different fields, uh, become doctors, you know, all those things. Um, that that is why it is so necessary to kind of level the playing field for folks. Um, but of course, this Supreme Court, with all of these Trump appointees, of course, they're going to try to paint the the measures to try to remedy some of these racial injustices as racism. It's disgusting. 
what do you think desmond yeah you know i um i'm i'm actually very intrigued to hear about john's point of view on this one because he said that he might have a different mm -hmm. take on this than the rest of us would so <laughs> yeah i don't want to build the drama up too much i'll i think i'll save my point <laughs> secondary here and have john go first Wonderful. Well, I'll say that my kind of contrarian viewpoint here is that I, I'm ideologically opposed to affirmative action. Um, I think it is a way of dealing with a problem with a hammer that you should be dealing with with a scalpel. Um, the my issue with it, and, and I, I I don't I like the spirit of it. I do think that it has done very positive things uh, for this country, and specifically for minority groups in this country, specifically for African Americans in this country. However, to me, it's putting a bandage on a problem that should be addressed. And instead, we kind of just go, we fix the problem at the end instead of going to the root cause. The problem isn't that, you know, African-Americans aren't getting into college or, or, you know, prestigious universities. That's not the problem. The problem is usually that we aren't giving them equality and equal opportunities and a proper education growing up to begin with. Um, and you kind of mentioned the, the you know, the class angle with this, Erica, and, and the problem with addressing it like this is that what ends up happening is, yeah, you end up providing, you know, opportunities to go to higher education for a lot of black people who, you know, especially previously to, you know, the, the civil rights movement definitely wouldn't have gotten it. But nowadays, you know, probably would still get it, but there, there's definitely more opportunity for them. But also those black people tend to be of the upper classes, you know, in a disproportional way, because those are the black people who are already receiving a good education, already, you know, having the academics get into these institutions. And so I would say, and I have a little bit more nuance to add to this later, but I do think that if we are going to focus on the problem of black people being denied opportunities, um, or people of any minority group being denied opportunities, Fixing it at the end doesn't actually solve the issue and more emphasis needs to be put towards addressing it to begin with. Of course, conservatives don't want to do that either. But like ideal, that's why I say ideologically, I'm not necessarily a fan of affirmative action. Just question, like what is at the end versus to begin with? Because I feel like all these things are so deeply interconnected that it's hard to say that like one of these things is the basis for, you know. I'm just curious about. Yeah, so there there are like legitimate racial discrimination things. Like I I speak all the time about the uh, the the resume study. Um, if you guys have ever heard that, if anyone in the audience hasn't heard of it, I encourage you to look it up. But essentially, um, this study has been replicated time and time again, where you take the same resume, you put a black sounding name like Deshaun Jackson on it, and you put a white sounding name like Joe Smith, right? And put the the same resume, different names. The white name is. Pretty sure the white name is 50% more likely or the black name is 50% less likely. I forget exactly how the math works. They might be the same thing um, in, to get an actual job interview. So even just then, there is an innate racial bias within people that causes that to happen. That That is something that I think can be addressed on the black end. Oh, the black end, sorry. The back <laughs> end with, with race-blind admissions. Um, but this is kind of the opposite of that. Um, and this puts race first. And I think there are actually valuable reasons to do that for diversity reasons, but it doesn't really address the problem. I don't think that just giving the college opportunity is all like, I don't think just the, the certificate from Harvard, as much as that does a lot of things, it really feels like you're putting a bandage on a hemorrhaging wound that it, it doesn't actually stop it, but in kind of a very neoliberal sense, 
gives people enough of peace of mind that they don't feel the need to address the real issue, which is inequality from the start of life. Um, and especially within education, having just very different education systems for very different sectors of our society and just kind of giving them the, you know, the, the getting them to the end of the tunnel right away um, doesn't necessarily solve that problem that affects a lot more people. Desmond, what do you think? Uh, the philosophy in this conversation, uh, not, not this particular conversation, but I think the entirety of that we're having this conversation across the country is if you can't fix an issue with one particular policy, then you shouldn't try to fix an issue at all. And so because affirmative action doesn't really fix the, all the problems that are being had by people who are minorities in this country, black people in particular, then we should remove it because it's not actually addressing the issue at the root cause. And, and I think you're going to have this conversation come up again. We talk about student loans and, and I'll actually, I'll be sure to talk about it again. We talk about student loans. <laughs> so does affirmative action in by itself, does it address all of the issues that are leading to young black children in this country, not having a great educational system in the first place? No. However, what it does do is improve a situation that is bad. And then the question you really have to ask yourself, this is what it really comes down to, is whether or not, first of all, you believe that there's an issue with systemic racism in the country. Question that's been going on for several years now. There's a group of people who seem to believe that it's an issue worth addressing. And there's a group of people who believe that, well, Obama became president, so obviously it's not a racist country anymore. I've actually heard that critique uh, quite a few times. So I'm of the belief, you know, maybe a shocker to some people, that there is quite a bit of systemic racism in this country. And in order to overcome years and years and years of systemic racism, you need to implement several policies. Affirmative action is not just a, a you know, a catch-all that's going to fix every issue. It's one of many steps. So what are we talking about with affirmative action? Trying to make sure that people from minority groups that are underrepresented in, rep in universities, in fact, are more equally representative in comparison to the population at large. There's so many of these institutions that have less than 1% or you know, or very low percentages of black enrollment. And so they put policies in place like affirmative action to go out of their way to disproportionately uh, have more black applicants be accepted into these universities. And I do in fact think that, that is a good policy to have. And the fact that the federal government would come in and take that away saying that it's discrimination but yet they would leave in place something like the legacy admissions kind of tells me all I need to know about what it is that they're actually trying to prioritize and what they think is dangerous. And I have a video that I want to leave at the, at the end here of this video. And we'll get to that when we're done with this conversation, but it's of, you know, friend of the friend of the show, who's uh, hopefully going to be a guest of ours. And they go into what it feels like um, what trying to break down the, the language that the Supreme Court used when they were talking about their reasoning for getting rid of affirmative action. And I think it's very telling as to what this court has now become with these three new justices that were appointed from the previous president. Yeah, I, I definitely. So so and to just continue to clarify my point, when I say it's a Band-Aid, I think the Band-Aid is still necessary. Um, I think that it is. It, it obviously was helpful. Um, I don't think anyone debates that. Um, maybe not anyone, but I don't think <laughs> the vast majority of people debates that. It was definitely necessary at some point. Um, and I think it continues to be necessary. 
Um, I just, I think it's a necessary evil. I, I think it is our optimal goal should be to not need it. Um, the legal question of it, whether or not it's, it, it should exist right now is is a separate thing. But I will say kind of to contradict everything that I've said up to this point, because I said I have a little bit more nuance here. <laughs> I do actually think there is value in creating a racially diverse student body for the sake of creating a racially diverse student body. When we're talking about these institutions, every especially when we're talking about elite institutions, everyone in them has great freaking grades. Like they're all like perfect on the SATs, all 4.0 GPAs. You know, um, that's not an issue. And they're kind of selecting the best student body for education and learning. And studies have shown that student bodies that are diverse, even for the white students, you know, actually have a benefit because they get to learn more about other cultures and different people and different ways of learning. And by learning the different ways of learning from like groups of people they would have never had access to, they become better learners themselves. Um, and, you know, study after study have shown this. And so th there is, I think, plenty of reason for having this outside of just the we need to help this community that has been disadvantaged throughout American history. Um, and so that's another reason why I think this is kind of a silly ruling, um, because there is, you know, this even outside of the whole systemic racism issue, there is value in diversity um, just in and of itself. Um, and if you're selecting between two people with the same exact resumes and one can add a different viewpoint um, to your institution, and one is going to be relatively the same as the other 50 resumes that you just selected, there's value in adding the one that provides the different viewpoint, the different life experiences. Um, so again, I I have a very nuanced take on this issue. Um, but uh, Erica, what do you, uh, seems like you're itching to say something. Oh, uh, no, I was just going to add to that, that, that like, you know, one example that I was hearing about a lot when I was researching this topic um, was that you know, in order for to have the best health outcome outcomes for black communities, you need to have black doctors in there mm -hmm. who know the the health concerns, who know who can actually communicate better, interface better with these people. You know, I mean, it's there's a reason to have diversity within our professions, you know, not just um, within our schools like we need for our economy, for our whole system to be more self-aware aware and for us to be aware of you know other other aspects of our society we need to have that diversity within our workplaces and and there's it's already been shown that eliminating um affirmative action in california and uh missouri or wisconsin i forget where it was um that that like immediately led to a drop in uh, diversity and in who who is actually being churned out by these institutions by these universities uh, all of a sudden you have way fewer black, um, you know, upper education folks who have really, really well-paid jobs. Um, and I, you know, going back to kind of what you're saying about like the scalpel versus the hammer, um, I think, you know, with a situation like just massive systemic racism and injustice that has been um, the legacy of America, uh, like you, we are we're not going to take a hammer at that, which was, that was basically like a hammer in and of itself, you know, but we're not going to be able to 
just crush all of the effects of that. You know, it's, it is so, it is bled into every aspect of our society. So we need to like, uh, kind of like you said, have a scalpel approach, but do it in every aspect of society that we can is, is how I see it, you know, because it is, has infiltrated every part of the world that we live in, um, in America. And if we're not trying to address those things, then we're just letting the white supremacy reign supreme, you know? <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. um, the, the issue of, uh, systemic racism, you know, obviously at the root cause of, you know, a conversation like this. And so again, talking about affirmative action, it, it's not, it is not a policy that's going to fix everything. Obviously there is a lot of issues to be had in a lot of these uh, inner cities in these communities that don't have great education systems, trying to figure out ways to make these systems better, trying to put more funding into these systems in the first place so that we can increase better outcomes out of these places. And, you know, hopefully a policy like affirmative action won't be necessary if you go ahead and try to build it from the ground up. But until that is the case, you do need to have policies in place like this, in my opinion, to kind of offset what is an otherwise just unjust society that we're currently living in. And um, I, I just, like, for those who are interested, I guess, more in the in the legal aspects of this case, I'll have a link in the episode description so that people can kind of read more about the case details that kind of went into this decision. And as I was saying before, we're gonna leave you with a video that was a kind of a, that was done by our friend of the show here, Elizabeth Booker Houston. She's a lawyer out of DC. And this is what she had to say about the issue. The Supreme Court has ruled that affirmative action is a violation of the 14th Amendment and therefore unconstitutional. The majority opinion was penned by Justice Roberts and it goes through the judicial history of striking down race-based state actions. Starting with Brown versus Board of Education, which declared that the right to a public education must be made available to all on equal terms. And then they discussed ending segregation and busing, bathhouses, public beaches, golf courses, neighborhoods, and then marriage in Loving versus Virginia, because as the court said in this opinion, the 14th Amendment proscribes all invidious racial discriminations, invidious, meaning unfair, unjust, unpleasant. And then the court said that any race-based decisions must survive strict scrutiny, meaning that the government has a compelling interest, and then the action is narrowly tailored to achieve that interest. In plain language, what the Supreme Court said is that being intentional about achieving diversity in our colleges and universities is offensive. Let me get more concrete than that. A medical school trying to ensure that more black doctors graduate, especially in the wake of high rates of black maternal and infant mortality, high rates of racist healthcare practices. They said that is as bad as not letting black people ride the same buses as white people. The Supreme Court has said that getting more black and brown teachers, lawyers, and psychologists in those fields is as bad as banning interracial marriage. They have compared getting minorities into college at higher rates, but still lower rates than white legacies, to segregation. They have said that the government does not have a compelling enough interest to right decades of wrongs by giving minority students a nudge in the lobby when everybody else is already at the penthouse. As a matter of fact, this opinion stressed that no matter how compelling affirmative action might be, it's dangerous. They used that word dangerous to describe ensuring that minorities are educated. The court said that 20 years later, no end of affirmative action is in sight, but rather than acknowledge that as an indication of the long road ahead to undo decades of racial injustice, the court determined that affirmative action is invidious. All right, Desmond, I know you said that we're going to end on that, but I actually wanted to add on to something that Erica said there, because she made a great point in that there are so many add-on effects of having a dearth of African-Americans in different populations, especially with doctors. Like for our audience, like Erica's not just making that up. Like that is a well-documented thing where because so much of 
um, the medical profession is trust and communication. Um, it gives an advantage to a black doctor from a black community to be able to instantly kind of build up that rapport, whether or not they're a better doctor or a better academic than you know a white doctor is, it just gives them an advantage in helping those specific kinds of people that identify with them. And if you don't have enough black doctors, even if you don't have, even if they all have like, you know, on average worse academics and like they didn't necessarily make the cut. If we have a dearth of black doctors, we're still going to be underserving that population. And in this case, like I mentioned earlier, the Supreme Court stated that for reasons of national defense, we're going to allow military academies to still do this. And so in my mind, like that's just a crazy argument, like considering the, the doctor thing and, and many other sectors of society that have this, because if you think that this might be valuable for national defense. Well, what the fuck about national defense from disease? <laughs> what the fuck about national defense from cybersecurity attacks? What the fuck about national defense of you know our, our financial institutions? Like they're like all of these things affect us. Like just because it's not a military invading doesn't mean that it kills Americans. In fact, I would argue that you know problems with medical system kill way more Americans than a foreign military ever has. So like I don't know. It just seems like a kind of uh hypocritical um uh decision from uh you know Clarence Thomas being one of the most hypocritical Supreme Court justices of all time but 